I uh, and, and getting ready for these lessons, this series, what, uh, whatever you want to call it. I purposefully stayed away from researching literature on secular literature on uh, you know mental disorders, post-traumatic stress disorder, uh, grief. You know the the first inclination anytime that that you're gonna present something in front of people is to go to that and, and study it. But like I said yesterday, you know, there's eight years or so of, of uh, you know, being exposed to those things and, and pick them up. One thing I noticed, and, you know, because of it's, I kind of look at it as a positive thing. One of the, one of the issues with having uh, TBI, traumatic brain injury, is that I've had to train myself to be very careful what I say. I have to think very hard about what I, what I say. I have to think about what I do, everything. So I've like had to pretty much train myself to uh, be very careful just to make sure that what I'm thinking in my head is coming across the way that I want it to. Uh, and it's a little hard to explain that, but if you read something, it, everybody, you know, you got WebMD, right? You go on there, next thing you know, you've got cancer. You know, you're sure of it. But that's because if you look at something and something that you figure has some type of authority, like a doctor or, uh, you know, psychologist or somebody that says, well, try doing this, read this literature on this, your mind automatically starts to think like that and, and go to those things. Well, I stayed away from the literature because... I wanted to really take a hard, deep look at my experiences with it all. Uh, so that it not only forces me to be genuine about it and to be truthful about it, because uh, it's easy to be honest about certain things and then it's really tough to be uh, uh, brutally honest about other things, especially when, when it's about yourself. However, it does help when you, when if you're in that same position or experience the same thing, to hear someone else say it and be able to connect with that. But I wanted it to be in my own thoughts and my own words. And also, in, in that same frame of mind, uh, it says biblical answers to depression, PTSD, and grief. So it, and at no point in this week are we going to be in the book of Job. And that's one of the things that I, I wanted, I purposefully did not want to go there because we can almost all, you can, you know, go look it up and uh, put in grief in, in Google and Job's going to come up everywhere. Uh, you know, you look, at, at, look up Church of Christ sermons and you'll find, you know, on, on issues of grief, Job will be there. So the main reason for that is not out of I want to do something different. The main reason is, is that Job is an extremely difficult book. It's, and, and I haven't committed enough study to it to uh, comfortably bring that up. You know, everybody, you can get the first parts and the end parts and all that. You know, there's that, over, that general idea. But it's... it's in depth, and there's just so much to it, and that's all I'm going to spend on that. Uh, I need to do a study on it. But that being said, this isn't going to be in the, the, the normal format you're used to. 
Uh, I'm going to be going a little longer than you're used to. Um, I don't have, I put a lot of thought into this and, and yesterday, and I do have, I, I know where I'm starting. I know where I'm going to be at in the middle, and I know where I'm going to be at at the end. Trust me. We will get back around to, to a point, at least I think it is. And if not, talk to me about it. Something maybe I can clarify. All right. Ecclesiastes chapter 2. Ecclesiastes chapter 2. I said in my heart, come now, we'll test you with pleasure, enjoy yourself. But behold, this also is vanity. I said of laughter, it is mad, and of pleasure, what use is it? I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine, my heart still guiding me with wisdom and how to lay hold on folly, till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days of their life. I made great works, I built houses and planted vineyards for myself, I made gardens and parks and planted them and all kinds of fruit trees, I made myself pools from which to water the forests with growing trees, I bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house. I also had great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women, and many concubines, the delight of the sons of man. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also my wisdom remained with me. And whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure. For my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was my reward for all my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done, and the toil I had expanded in doing it, and behold, all was vanity and striving after the wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. I continue on in chapter 12. Remember also your creator in the days of your youth. Before the evil days come and the years draw near, of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain. In the day when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men are bent and the grinders cease because they are few and those who look through the windows are dimmed. And the doors on the street are shut. When the sound of the grinding is low and one rises up at the sound of the bird and all the daughters of song are brought low, they are afraid also of what is high, and tares are in the way. The almond tree blossoms, the grasshopper drags itself along, and desire fails, because man is going to his eternal home, and the mourners go about the streets. Before the silver cord is snapped, or the golden bowl is broken, or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain, or the wheel broken at the cistern, and the dust returns to the earth as it was, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher, all is vanities. Besides being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. The preacher sought to find words of delight, and uprightly he wrote words of truth. The words of the wise are like goads, and like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings. They are given by one shepherd. My son, beware of anything beyond these, of making many books there is no end, and much study is a weariness of the flesh. The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, 
for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. We're going to continue on in the New Testament. To go over to First uh, Peter. First Peter chapter 2, I'm going to be starting in verse 13. First Peter chapter 2, verse 13. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing, when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer, for it you endure. This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. <clears throat> One interesting thing that uh, I found about, it's, it, it's, uh, these things all run together, uh, you know, because I don't think they really have a good handle on it. They have an, an axiom, uh, uh, diagnoses of, you know, the, do you have this check? Do you do this check? And then they can come. If you match so many out of so many, then ah, I got it. You're this. All right. And I found it interesting that with uh, and the PTSD questionnaires, depression questionnaires, um, TBI questionnaires, one of the things is uh, shows a lack of respect for authority. That's on there. That's, it's kind of odd that out of everything else, you know, you have uh, can't sleep, variable nightmares, uh, weight loss, weight gain, I can get that because of depression. But then out of nowhere, there's this disrespect for authority. Why is that something that, that's going to come up to check off that they can see for uh, uh, a side effect or an ism of, of these, these problems? Just keep that in mind. Ephesians 
speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your hearts to the Lord. That's all right, I don't need it. Colossians 3.16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching you and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. So, like I mentioned yesterday, uh, about 19 years, I was completely focused on music. And before I was in the Army, I was a, a classically trained professional musician. That's how I made my money. Um, you can ask it anybody. When you first get to know somebody, a, a common question is, do you like music? That's a funny question. Because if anybody ever said, no, I don't like music, they're lying. That's, that's one of those things, you know, that of course I like music. They say, well, okay, well, what kind of music? That's a difficult question, too, you know, to say, to narrow it down. Music... is special. Music, it's powerful. Uh, other than just the physical part of it, that, that when we're singing together in a group, you get the, the, it, the reverberation in the air, you feel it in, inside of you. Uh, you go to a concert and, and you know, you can feel the, the waves, you know, the music. Uh, it affects you. And it affects us on a, on a very deep level. So, when I started playing, you know, I, uh, I just took to it. I loved it. And then I ended up being, you know, they, people would always say, well, if you're going to play professionally, you know, those people live in the practice room. That's all they do. And that's what I ended up doing. You know, I would spend as much time as I could. I didn't care about school, nothing else. I would practice, you know, eight hours a day if I could. This was while I was still having to go to school. And when I was out of school, you know, anywhere 12, 18 hours a day, practicing, 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 practicing. So in college, you have to take what's called oral skills. And I always thought, well, I'm gonna, I, play, I play the flute. Why do I need to know how to sing? Why are they making me, why do I have to take four semesters of singing? But it wasn't so much singing, it was that you had to be able to uh, hear something played without seeing the music and write that music down, hearing it in your head and being in the right key and, and it had to be right. You just couldn't you know, put anything. It had to be correct to get, uh, a passing grade. And with music, it's, there's no in-between. You've either, if you mess up the first note, you're done. You know, there's, you're, you're off on the whole equation, just like math, basically. But the reason why, and, I, and just like many other lessons we learn in our life, the reason why you need to be able to sing to play a musical instrument is because if you can't sing that note, you can't play that note in harmony with everyone else around you. You listen to middle school bands, high school bands, a lot of college bands. They'll sound pretty good sometimes, but then sometimes you get that, whoa, 
now with you know beginners and stuff like that. You go to support the, the kids, but it's terrible. It is. It's terrible. It is not a pleasant experience. Uh, it'll scratch the back of your brain. That's why. That's what I feel. It feels like it scratches the back of my brain. Uh, God gave us our, our voices. And it's something that we take for granted. That not only did he give us our voices, but he gave us that ability to just think about it for a second. We, that each of us, doesn't matter if you're, you're, you can sing well or you can't sing well, but we each have the ability to hear something in, in our head, uh, your favorite hymn, you can hear it in your head and you can sing that. You can verbalize it. You can make that music. It's not just spoken word. It it's, it's becomes, you can say the word and it'll affect you, but when you sing it, it vibrates your soul. So keep that in mind. I started talking yesterday a little bit about how we have this this problem, all of us, I did as well, you know, the, we think we're supposed to be in this state of happiness all the time. Uh, we're terrified of other emotions. We can't, we can't face it. You know, we can't face hardships that, that they, they really affect us. So you hear on the news all the time about this opioid epidemic, right? It's just like everything else. Yeah, opioid epidemic, okay, you know, this, uh, next year will be heroin epidemic. Uh, next year it will be something else. There just always seems to be something on the news about the next big epidemic. Well, uh, I work at a, a funeral home, and I realized that this problem was a little bit different than the other ones because I, I sit down one day and the funeral director hands me this pamphlet and says, you need to read this. And it was a, uh, an entire guidebook on specifically for funeral directors from the Centers for Disease Control on what, how to properly handle somebody that's overdosed on opioids. And the reason for that is, is because The stuff they got now is fentanyl. Is that what it is, Christy? Fentanyl. Apparently is so powerful. You know, there's a, a couple police officers that got sick. I think one of them died just from touching a bag that it had this stuff in it. And so one of the suggestions was that they were, one of the recommendations was that every funeral home needed to start carrying Narcan. It's the stuff they use to get the people who are overdosing. So in case you come into contact with the person that's deceased that overdosed on a drug and you just happen to get touch them without gloves on, you don't OD. So why, why are so many people trying to not deal with reality? And a lot of that is, is, is this false uh, idea of dealing with emotions and, you know, that we need to be happy all the time. And the second I'm not happy, numb it. 
I just can't face it. And I read that passage from Ecclesiastes because all the answers to any of our issues are there. And I, you see people, famous people, that they're out there drinking, drugging, womanizing, committing suicide. And they have all those things. Anything that they desire, they can grab and have. They're not happy, but they're searching for that. I think some of those problems have to do with the shallowness of being able to be happy all the time. There's no depth. And one way that I, I was trying to think of how to, how to, how to put that into, into words, we all, we just sang a song, so you can see the music. And in the music, we have the words, right? And in the, in the music, we have, there's four parts there. You, know, you have soprano, alto, tenor, bass. One voice alone, one person singing can be a very beautiful thing. That's one thing, okay? You can think of that as like a child. It's one line, it's simple. There's not a whole lot going on. Well, you add in that alto part, you get a little bit more to it. So you're adding a bit more experience to that. Um, and from there, you can add on the, the tenor and the bass. And as we go out throughout our lives, if you've ever seen a score to a larger work, it's huge. You got you know, the first page and, and, and everything going on there. Well, it's not that you know, it's not that, that one voice is not special. It is. It's necessary. But so are all those other voices. And the way I think of it is those experiences. And it's not just going to be happiness. Throughout our entire lifetimes, everybody will experience sadness. They're going to experience grief. They're going to experience depression. They're going to experience elation. All of it. If you just have that one line and there's no depth to it, it's not there. Life, our lives are profound, and, and they're profound in a way that there's a lot going on. There's a lot to process. So the breakdown with these issues here is the inability to process those things. And one way that we get into situations where we don't process those things is by numbing them. We take that drug, we drink. That's, that's what I did. That's what I used alcohol for. Alcohol made my head be quiet. Just needed to be quiet. It was damaging me so much more than, than, than I could see at the time. Grief and this emotional scale, uh, you know, of happiness, sadness, think of, you know, think of your own. The entire, we'll say the entire score of music of our life experiences. Think about grief for a minute. And think about, think back to a feeling when, if, you know, you've had a very close loved one die. Think about what that feels like. I can't think of any other emotion that affects you so greatly physically than grief. Grief, you get, it almost feels like you got punched in the stomach. You can't breathe, you can't think, 
it's it, it's powerful, and I uh, grief is is it's amazingly powerful. Uh, you know, I I see it a lot in what I do. I see different ways that people deal with it. Um, there's different kinds of grief. You know, they have how many what are, how many stages of grief are there? Told you I didn't look at any literature. Seven? Yeah, it's like you get mad, sad, accepted, right? Y'all have all heard that, you know. Uh, but there's these processes you go through. I, don't, I, don't, I guess that's probably right. I can say in general for most people, but everybody's mind works differently. I don't know. I only know how, how my mind worked with it. But there's a particular kind of grief that's different and it's unique. Uh, and that's grief that I've seen associated with suicide. It's, it's so unique. It's, it's, it's not even the same can't even put it into words. I can't even think of a word to put it into. You see, but we have funerals. People have asked before, you know, oh, isn't this a happy crowd? Because we know that Miss or Mr. So-and-so, they're in heaven now, and everybody's just so happy. Um, you know, different folks in different situations has a different feeling in the room. You know, if, if everybody is in a state of panic, you get, there's a feeling, you know, we're all in some way, you know, we, we pick up off each other's emotions. I wouldn't say that go out and try to seek and find it, you know, but I think that all life experience that adds on to that music makes it deeper and richer, and, and that's why you should listen to your elders is because they have that experience you know, I'm not talking about church elders, I'm talking about anybody that is older than you has that much more experience on planet Earth dealing with things. Listen to them. Listen. You don't have to agree, but you're going to learn something. They've got more experience than you. But if you ever have an opportunity, and this sounds terrible, but whatever, to be at a funeral for somebody that, that, that has committed suicide, take a look around and, and catch a feeling from, from that room. It's empty. The grief is so deep. People don't talk. It's quiet. Nobody talks. Regular funerals, somebody that, that, that's, you know, even accidents or younger people, people talk, they laugh, they... they get to know, you know, each other, see distant relatives. At a suicide, nobody's talking. People's children, the children of the one that committed suicide. For some reason, a lot of people end up doing it to where the kids find them. You're not looking into the eyes of somebody that's there. They're not there. They're checked out. They're done. They're done. And the same, you look at, you have the family sitting there. And as you go further back, the people that were further away related to them look a little bit more alive. But they're not there. They're checked out. 
It is completely unique from everything else because it's so unnatural. Taking your own life is something that is so against our basic instinct is what? Survive. Fight or flight. Whatever you've got to do, you're going to make it. So this thing with suicide is that, you know, what place were they in? What happened? You know, we're trying to figure out what happened. Where, where, did, where did everything go wrong? About every six months, I guess you could average it out, somebody sends me a text message or calls me and says, hey, so-and-so killed himself. And it's been that way for years. It's been that way since 2000, 2009, yeah. Every couple months, somebody that I served with kills themselves. Uh, you see the stats, it's like 22 a day of, of veterans and active duty service members. And it's so many times higher than the national average. It's like, what is going on? What, is, what, what happened? Why is it so specific to this one demographic that in this disproportionate number are committing this act is so unnatural? And I've known quite a few of them. A lot of them, they're, you know, oh, well, I knew them, you know. Uh, they were in the same company, served with them at certain points, whatever. Um, there's been several that I was extremely close with. And that first reaction I have to it is anger. I don't really know if I even uh, had much emotion past that, past anger. I'm mad at them. You know, how could you, how could you do that? Not even like, how could you do that? Because I feel bad about it. So I'll be honest with you, you know, it's just such a, an odd thing for me, but I think of how could you do that to your kid? How could you do that to your kid? You don't get to see what it does to them. It, that's not your choice. Because you didn't just take yourself out, you destroyed another person. It's the same way with kids that get molested they're fundamentally changed for the rest of their lives. And whoever is responsible for that, that's something that, that you know, that's an, un, you know, I can't say unforgivable. That's somebody that needs to be put in grown-up timeout until they pass away. They, they just, they can't be there. And I feel that, you know, that, that, that same anger towards somebody that, that, that commits suicide. Uh, it's, it's ridiculous. There's one common denominator with all of them. Every single one of them did not have a relationship with God. Oh, that's crazy. Oh, come on. It's true. I ran around with a lot of them. God, you know, we, we didn't have anything to do with God. We had everything to do with us, ourselves. We were in control. None of them had a relationship with God. So, 
we left off yesterday before the uh, invitation. Where I was, you know, talking about that 90 days back and I said everything's going to hit. Well, at the same time, you know, I talked about how my ex-wife had told me that she had had, the, you know, the boyfriend, the, the affair, but the boyfriend. And I was not going to give up on it. And so the day that I was going to kill myself, I was done. I wasn't drunk. I wasn't going to tell anybody. And, and I really had to, like, take a lot of time to analyze this because you don't want to think about that. That's one of the ones I didn't want to think about. So I really had to think about it because it's amazing what your mind will block out and then what it will let in. And so when you first let it in, a lot of it's not true. No, I didn't. No, no, that's not the way it worked. So everything was fine. Uh, you know, I wasn't going to get, I told her, we can't get divorced. We can get through this. We can work it out. She was checked out mentally and everything. Uh, and this went on for, I don't know, I don't know how long, a couple weeks, whatnot. So I pull into the driveway, and she calls. I get another call, and uh, it was another one of those, you know, I'm going to go take a bottle of pills with her, and I am just want to, you know, I don't want anybody to find me, you know, my family-wise. She wasn't attempting suicide, but she said, this is it. Um, I'm going to come get what I, you know, the stuff that I want from the house, and I'm going back up north. I had been sitting on all this stuff from the deployment, then from hearing about the affair and all these things, at the same time, guarding work. And it was strange because the moment, it was quick. I'm sitting in my car one minute, everything's fine. Um, you know, I'm going to come home. Uh, watch a movie, whatever, everything's fine. It was a weekend, it was a Friday. I get this call, and it was just weird. It was like everything just opened up and flooded in. I was so angry, and it came from that anger when she said that she wasn't going to come home. So honesty time, right? I didn't care. When I look back at it at that, I said yesterday that relationship should never happen. I didn't care about that. What I cared about was that she told me something I didn't want to hear. I was in control. I was powerful. I was the one that had a good career. I had everything together. Her taking herself away from that nice little equation was, was going to make me look bad. It was going to make me look like I failed. I was thinking, you know, you wronged me. How could you do this to me? You know, people are going to think I'm less of a man because you had an affair. You know, but, and, and all these thoughts were flooding in, flooding in, flooding in, flooding in, anger and anger and anger. And I had not prepared myself for that whole 90 days, you're going to start thinking about things. And all of a sudden, all this stuff started rushing in. The, the, you know, I'm thinking, at that point, I'm, I'm beating myself up and I'm pouring me in. Pour me, pour me, pour me. Everybody's against me. And then I start telling you, well, you're a terrible person. Then things start coming in from overseas and, and just flooding in, you know, and to the point where 
I pinpointed it was grief is what I was feeling for the first time since I was like seven years old. So I hadn't been used to that feeling. And I wasn't supposed to feel that. It was grief and it knocked me down. And then just like that, I was like, well, that's it, I'm done. I'm just going to drive this car in the garage, shut the door, and check out. That's it. My mom had uh, at some point been in my car. Before I say this, I want to I make this statement. I don't believe, uh, you know, God comes down and, and, and touches you and says, you know, you're going to be, you're the special one and I'm going to save you. And I don't see angels. Uh, I, I, we'll get into that later. This is just pure, it's there. But my center console, there was a uh, uh, CD of gospel music, um, you know, Church of Christ hymn music, a cappella. And I, and I thought to myself, okay, before I do this, I just want to hear one song. I'll listen to one song. And put it in, It Is Well With My Soul. That's why I asked Lee to sing it. It Is Well With My Soul. Music is very special to me. That song is very special to me. So I listened to it once, and I'm just sitting there, poor me, feeling sorry for myself, like you wouldn't believe. Uh, grieving for myself. You know, they always say suicide is something that's very selfish, and that's, that's a good statement to throw out there. Yes, it is very selfish. But when I was in that moment, it was so true, so true that it really is. Anybody can say, well, that's the most selfish thing anybody can do. It really was, because I wasn't thinking about anybody but me, poor me. So I listened to that song, I don't know, probably about 20 times. Just kept playing it over and over again. Now, I wasn't in church. I didn't go to church. I didn't think about church very much. And after this uh, moment, there weren't very many times I did think about it. But I did keep thinking of Psalms 130. Psalms 130. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits, and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning, more than watchmen for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption, and he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. I didn't know all that because I wasn't in the church, but I did know. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. And just in there, pity party for myself and crying, but that for a moment, I'm in it. It was in... in I don't know. I guess uh, profound would be a good way to think of the profound grief for myself. That's all I could think of. Well, cop car drives by. I look out the window because I'm sitting in the driveway. And 
I see him pull in down the street, and I'm like, hmm. Somebody called. I don't know why. He pulls up. Uh, you know, it turns out, uh, you know, she had called. My parents, all that, everybody's worried. So he was going to kill himself, so they called the cops out. So I pulled myself together real quick. But she messed up. She messed up. She said that I was, I was uh, belligerently drunk, and I wasn't. It's weird how that works out. Most of the time I was. This time I wasn't. Cop walks up. I have myself got pulled back together, get out of the car, away from her in the front yard. How you doing, sir? He's like, well, how are you? Are you Mr. Raines? Yes, I am. He said, well, we got a call, blah, blah, blah. You're belligerently drunk, this and that. And he's like, but obviously you're not. And I was like, yeah, she's in San Antonio. She's crazy. She didn't know what she's talking about. Everything's good. Going to go home. All right, he let me go. Went inside. So let's stop that. So just as quickly as I had a, a few moments to, to, and it was that quick, that quick. I wasn't thinking about it anymore. Suicide went, at that point, it wasn't. It was, I went back to self-preservation mode. So that this, I, I heard recently about the problem with uh, when you can't sort things out, which is what that problem was, and a problem that I had a long time until I was able to, to think about it, to sort it out, was that it's the same as having a bunch of apps open on your phone. Your brain works the same way. It slows your phone down. can't handle it. You've got to close those apps out. But you've got to acknowledge that they're there first. So you've got to acknowledge those, those, those ugly feelings, those ugly things, uh, that, that stuff in you that's terrible. Exodus... 10 and verse 3, Proverbs 16, 19, Isaiah 57, 15, Isaiah 58, 5, Zephaniah 2, 3, Luke 14, 9 through 11, Romans 12, 3, 1 Corinthians 1, 28, Colossians 3, 12, Titus 3, 2, James 3, 13, 1 Peter 5, 5, Luke 1, 52, 2 Samuel 7, 8, 1 Kings 14, 2 Chronicles 7, 14, 1 Peter 5, 6, 2 Samuel 22, 28, 1 Kings 21, 29, 2 Kings 22, 19, 2 Chronicles 12, 6 through 7. I'm going to skip um, down two pages. 2 Chronicles 28, 19, Psalm 107, 39, Isaiah 9, 1, 2 Corinthians 12, 21, Luke 18, verse 14, 1 Samuel 2, 7, Isaiah 2, 11, Isaiah 5, 15, Isaiah 13, 11. Let me skip a page. 2 Samuel 7, 18, 1 Kings 3, 7. It's a lot of verses, right? All those verses have to do with humility. Humility, uh, in my mind, uh, when I would think about it, when I would read in Scripture and I would see that, you know, in, in those verses, it's mentioned so often. It's, it's, it's just like alcohol is mentioned a whole bunch, too. You might want to catch on to that, right? Hmm. Why? Why so specific alcohol? It'll, it'll destroy you, that's why. Everything mentioned in Scripture, God could have put it one time. And that would be it. That's all we would need. But God knows us. Christ knows us. He knows that sometimes he's got to put it in a bazillion times. So I would think of humility. Well, I'm, I'm a humble person. I don't brag. I don't, I don't put myself above other people. I don't consider myself better than other people. I don't. Uh, I don't do any of those things. I'm, I'm a humble person. 
quiet. I don't make scenes out in places. Humility, that, that is part of humility, but the core of humility goes completely against everything that, that we are as people. And that is the instinct of don't tell me that I'm doing something wrong. The Bible says in uh, Matthew 8.15 that if you have a problem with a brother, it says specifically, go to that brother in person one-on-one. That's so you, you don't call somebody out in public because that puts them on the defensive. It makes them angry. They're going to get combative. They're going to fight back. Humility is recognizing when you're wrong, recognizing that. Having somebody else tell you, hey, you're wrong. Humility is being able to hear that, recognize that, verbalize it to say, yes, you're right, I shouldn't have done that. Yes, you're right, I'm wrong, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Submission to authority, that's humility. Submitting yourself. That's why I said, isn't it an interesting thing that with a lot of these issues with mental health, that specifically a disrespect for authority. A disrespect for authority, we'll follow that all up, that God is our, our final authority. I disrespected God in, in that way. I was in control. I was going to make the decisions. So I had to have a perspective change because everything I was doing was wrong. Everything. You have to change your perspective and, and look at other people's point of view. So let's, we've circled back around. Ephesians 5.19, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your hearts to the Lord. Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. So biblical answers. Biblical answer to PTSD, suicide, everything else, get over yourself. Get over yourself. You have to stop. Pull yourself away from you and realize that all this stuff you're doing, you're doing. I guarantee you. People say, God's not going to put anything on you more than you can handle. Mm Mm-mm. You're in a bad situation. Ten times out of ten, you put yourself there. Ten times out of ten, you put yourself in that situation. You did something wrong. At some point, go look at what you did, and at some point, I guarantee you, 100% all the time, you did something exact opposite of what was taught in these 66 books. You did something different. When you do something different from that, good luck. Hold on. So you have to humble yourself down. They, they, they call it rock bottom, hitting rock bottom. Rock bottom's great. When I crawled out of rock bottom and, and realized and admitted that I had all these problems, it was wonderful. Humbling yourself to the point of getting it all out there and everybody knows all the terrible things and what you did. Everybody knows that, man, this guy's sick. He's got an issue. It feels 
wonderful, the best I've ever felt in my adult life was that first year after getting my stuff together. And I still had a lot of things I had to fix, but it felt great. It was wonderful. Every word, every word written in here is important. <coughs> Words mean things, right? Yeah, I love that saying. Words mean things. It all matters. Singing. We, uh, we take it for granted. We take music for granted. Singing and, and what a gift it is and how powerful it is. Well, you're the church that doesn't have instrumental music. What's singing got to do with PTSD and depression? What's not having instrumental music and worship service have to do with how are you, how are you going to make the connection? This would be the time for folks to walk out. Where's he going, right? So I, I, I want you to think of that. I want you to think that. I want you to think, how in the world is he going to make a point? How are we going to start with that point? How are we going to talk about suicide? How is instrumental music and worship, what does it have to do with any of this? How is that a biblical answer to, to depression, PTSD, and grief? What is he doing? He's crazy. No. Everything that's written in these 66 books, everything in here, holds a weight in the balance of our eternal souls. And how little do the most of us know what's in it? I should know Job. I should be able to put Job in this conversation somewhere, but I can't. I have to admit that. I can't because I don't know enough about it. I've got to study it. Study, study it. To know it. To be able to teach it. Right? We should all be ready to teach it. But what's written in here is important. And, and, and I say that because those verses that I read, that's the only, you know, the, the, the times where singing is mentioned and, and worship to God. It says singing. I practiced, like I said, 12 to 18 hours a day. 12 to 18 hours a day. Let me tell you the truth about that. So in order to be able to put a whole orchestra full of people together, harmonizing relatively in the same way, playing the same pitch, getting it together to where it doesn't sound like the sixth grade band, but to where it's something pleasant that people will pay money to go see so you can get paid. And the key to that is that you've got to be able to hear it, see in your head, be able to, to, to do that up there. So you have to practice 12 to 18 hours a day because the singing part's natural. It's natural. It's easy. Kind of. But you've got to practice so much because you've got to manipulate 
that thing. So in order to make it pleasant, you've got to get around what man did. We came up with that. That sounds great, but I got a better idea. Piano will make it better. That's okay. It's going to help them stay in tune. It's going to sound great. Drum set will be better because when people hear drums, it makes them feel you know, a little bit you know, more at beat. That's okay. Well, what's the Bible say about that? The Bible says something about that. It says sing with your heart because that's where it comes from. Humility is, is one of those things we read about a lot. Be humble, humble yourselves. But what does that mean? Submit completely to authority. That means all the way down from the bottom looking up. You, you have to tell yourself, you don't know anything. We don't. We work our whole lives striving to know something. We build our, our composition to be, to be thick and profound and be able to uh, hopefully reach other people through this message, right? So we can't mess around with, with what's here. We can't add to things. We can't take away things because it lessens what God was trying to do. So when you take something out of there, good luck. Because, uh, like I said yesterday, and it's probably going to be something I'm going to repeat, why in the world would you risk your eternal life over? It's not that big of a deal. If it's written in Scripture, it's a big deal. It's such a big deal that, like I said, your eternal life depends on it. It's that big of a deal. That's how much God cares. And that's how it matters. Because whether we're talking about being humble and pulling you away from you, or we're talking about how God expects us to worship him, that's just as important. We're here for each other for the answers to these things. We're here for that. You need help. There's experience in the room. You need to come up and, and, and talk to somebody about it. The truth I know, the truth that I've seen, the truth that I've, I've, I've experienced is that everybody I know that let that get to them, that either killed themselves outright or are, are killing themselves with alcohol, killing themselves with drugs, killing, you know, disrespecting authority and ending up in prison. I know a bunch of them too. There's actually more of them than the suicides. Hey, I caught another felony. My buddy that hung himself, I think he's like racked up like three felonies. It's one thing after another. The one common denominator is they do not know God. They do not know scripture. They know a bunch of psycho babble that somebody told them they're on a bunch of medication that the doctor gave them. They don't know God. And like Christ told Saul, you can't kick against the goats. It's the truth. Whether you believe it or not, that's not on me. You know. So you got to do something about it. You know, you got to commit yourself to the word. You got to commit yourself to study. I know most of, uh, most of us here have already obeyed the gospel. Uh, we know that everything written in here is the truth. 
and I, I read in, in uh, First Peter, and now you've got to go way back to remember that. But you can go read again on your own. Go read First Peter if you don't remember. Talks a little bit about what Christ did and the suffering that Christ had for us. The suffering that I thought I had the day I was going to kill myself. The grief. That's what I go to if I think that I can even gleam a pinch of what Christ went through. He took on all of it for all of us, for all the world, for all time. All of it. As a man. That's profound. So what are we going to do for him? First thing we need to do is humble ourselves down to the ground because we are not worthy. We're not. We can work at it. Christ did come and he did die on the cross for the, the, to, to wash away the sin of the world. If you believe that and ready to confess that, then we can do that. We, we can do what's, what's told right after that. Even though people want to kick against that goad and, and, and to madness, even though it's in plain English. What do we do? Repent and be baptized, all of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, period. That's how you get in. If you want to have eternal life. Study that for yourself, too. Full statement. That's how you do it. I don't want to, that's okay, you know now. It's our wish that, that you would. If you have any kind of spiritual need, though, uh, we always offer the invitation. Um, and this is an opportunity. If you don't feel like doing it now, catch one of us once everything, you know, everybody's over, because I know it's hard to get that humility going and ask for help. Ask for help. It's okay. If I can stand up here and say these things, you can ask for help. But if you have anything that you need, uh, let us know this time as we stand and sing.